So, you guys have all heard me use the expression as I've been up here preaching that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man, right? Everybody ever, ever heard me say that? And everybody ever wondered, like, man, the math just doesn't add up. You know, you can't be 100% of two different things. But the reality is, is that, that Jesus was fully man and he was fully God. And this is going to be today the, the first part of a two-part series. Today we're looking at, I've entitled the message, Jesus Fully Man. And I bet you can guess what the title next week will be. That'll be Jesus Fully God. But we're going to, to take a look at the reality that Jesus was 100% human, just like us. He became fully man when he walked among us. Because in order to deal with our problem, with our situation, um, he had to become just like us. Jesus had human emotions just like us. He had human thoughts just like us. And he lived his life just like ours, with the same temptations, with the same struggles, with the same problems, just like every single one of us. Because in order to save us, he had to become exactly like us. In order to swap his life for ours, he had to be the same as us. Or otherwise, it wouldn't have been a swap. It wouldn't have been an even trade. He couldn't have given his life for ours if his life wasn't the same as ours. And I'll be honest, this is, this is kind of hard to comprehend. It's hard to understand. How can a, a person be 100% man and 100% God? The math just doesn't add up like we said earlier. And today we have to take this on faith. We have to trust what the Word of God says about it, even if it doesn't make earthly sense to us. And we're actually going to find as we get towards the end of this message that it's actually incredibly important that we understand Jesus was fully a man. That's, that's an important part of his salvation for us. It's kind of like the Holy Trinity is, is to us today as well, because that's, that's another one where, where the math just doesn't seem to add up. Three persons, one God. How can he be three distinct individual people, persons, but one God? The math just doesn't seem to add up. But the scripture is clear on that matter as well. Sometimes we have to recognize that math works a little bit different for God. Any of those who have been tithing regularly can tell you that math works a little bit different for God. But this is also him being fully man and fully God, and particularly the fully man part, is a reason for great hope in all of us. Because Jesus was a man just like all of us, and he had all the same emotions, thoughts, problems, etc., yet he lived a sinless life. You know, it's easy for us to say, ah, Jesus was God come in the flesh and he lived a sinless life. We're like, man, that must have been super easy for him. He was God. No no wonder he lived without sin. But the truth is, is that he was just like us with the same temptations, the the same opportunity to sin, yet he didn't. So we see the reason why that gives us hope, because we can understand with the, with the renewed life, with his life inside of us, that means that we can finally do the same. We can live completely free from sin because his life is inside of us. 1 John 4.17 says, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. We have the same spirit inside of us, the same life inside of us in this world. So, isn't that good news? Is that, is that uh, I feel like I'm putting people to sleep already this morning. I need to get a water gun up here or something and just start taking them out. 
But that's good news. We, Jesus lived a sinless life in a body just like ours. That means that we can live that same life. That we can do it in Him. So let's start looking at Scripture that begins to discuss, begins to, to talk about Jesus becoming flesh, becoming fully man. And one John, I'm sorry, in John 1.14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, the key part here is the Word became flesh. The Word here is referring to Jesus. If you take some time and read through the, uh, the, the, the book of John, the first chapter there, you'll see that the Word is referring to Jesus. And it's not just something that I'm pulling out of the air. You can read any commentary about it. The Word is referring to Jesus. And it says that He became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, it's interesting that at this time that the, the Greek philosophers and the Jewish teachers, they had no concept of the Word becoming flesh, of God becoming flesh. Because since the time of Plato, the Greek philosophers had emphasized that the truth was invisible, was internal. It definitely wasn't a person. And most Jews so heavily emphasized that man, that human being, could not become a God that they never even considered that God might become a human. Hmm? But the reality is, is that Jesus became a man. He became flesh. This is the same Jesus who always was, who always is. This is, this is God became a man. In Revelations 1.8, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. And as we know, that means I'm the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. And he says, the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So we know that he's God, and we're going to spend a lot more time next week um, dealing with, with Jesus being God, because that's a, a great point of contention across different, um, uh, different religions. But he became a man, just like us, and not just partly, not just kind of. He didn't just look like a man. He actually became flesh and blood, just like us. He was a real person who lived and died. You know, that's one thing that nobody contends with. Everybody believes that Jesus lived and died. That's a, he's a historical figure. Christians, non-Christians, religious people, secular people, everybody agrees that Jesus lived. The, the, the question is, is, who was he? Was he just a man? Which we'll discuss next week that he definitely wasn't just a man. But he, he was fully man. He lived and he died. He had a body like ours. He lived just like us. And the only difference is, is that because he was born a virgin, he was born without sin, and then he lived a sinless life. Amen? In Philippians 2, 5-8, it says, Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, this is an interesting verse because we find that, that when Jesus became a man, when God became a man, that he set aside his deity. And what I mean by he set it aside is he set it aside in practice. He didn't stop being God, but he set aside the privileges of being God. While he was on this earth. 
In other words, he didn't live as God while he was on this earth. He humbled himself to live as us, to live as a servant. And we can get a little better of idea of what this is saying here when he says he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. If we look at a few different translations. In Philippians 2.6 in the Amplified Bible, it says, Who though being essentially one with God and in the form of God, possessing the fullness of the attributes which make God God, did not think this equality with God was a thing to be eagerly grasped or retained. In the Philippians 2.6, in the Message Bible, it says he had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. When Jesus became a, a man, he set aside the, the advantages of that status. He set aside his deity in the sense, not that he was no longer God, but he set aside the advantages, the powers, and those things alongside of it. He didn't set aside his deity fully and he he didn't stop being God. But he did become a man for us in full. And he became a servant for us. He chose to live as we do so that he might give his life for us. In 2 Corinthians 8 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Can you imagine? He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's living in heaven. He has everything. And he gave it all up for us. You know, we sing a song um, uh, during Christmas time that talks about that, that there, were, there, were many king, there were many babies who grew to become kings. But there was only one king who became a baby. He gave up everything. He gave up the, all those things he had as God. He set them aside so that he could come and live for us. And not only that, he came as a baby. Not only did he, he, it would be one thing if he just came as a man with his faculties fully intact, thinking, breathing, uh, talking, speaking, already learned, but he came as a baby. And just like every baby that's born, they don't know anything. They can't depend on themselves. They require somebody to take care of them. You can't humble yourself much lower than that to being the all-sufficient, all-powerful, all-knowing God to humble yourself to become a baby that, that can't even eat on his own. And that's what God did for us. He became our example as well. It says that he lived as a servant. Where does that say that? I know it's here somewhere. Yes, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He became a servant for us. He became our example. If you look at all of Jesus' ministry, you'll see that he was serving others always. He was healing their sick and demon-possessed. He was feeding the hungry. He was washing the feet of his disciples. He stepped down from such incredible heights to the lowest of lows, all for us, and all to be our example. This is the same attitude that we should have in ourselves as well. We cannot think of ourselves so highly that we can't serve others when, when God stepped down from being so far above where any of us can think of at we're at now. Like, man, I don't want to do that stuff. I don't want to feed the homeless. I don't want to give up my time to come in here and, and do certain things. I mean, this is my time. I don't want to do that stuff. But God stepped down so much farther than any of us could ever imagine to be our example. 
In Matthew 20, 26 through 28, it says, It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The truth is, is that when we humble ourselves as Jesus did, we're actually living greatly. We are being great when we humble ourselves as Jesus did. Amen? Now, we just saw that Jesus humbled himself and chose not to live as God, but as a human, one of us, with the same problems and limitations and all those things that we have. So now I want to take a look at, at that's the theology behind it. Let's take a look at the mechanics about it, just in case anybody's confused. We'll look at the physical mechanics of Jesus being born. In Luke 2, 4-7, through 7, it says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of, of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Where's Blake at? Having another, another thing about birth. Think I should bring you into it this time? No? All right. <laughs> so let's look at the mechanics of what it means to be born as a man. Jesus was born. Everyone, everyone understands that, right? This is pretty clear. He didn't just show up. Jesus was born from a mother, from his mother Mary. You know what? And Mary didn't just walk into the house one day and find a mysterious package on the table. Joseph was like, hey, someone left this here for you. Probably want to open it soon. It says fragile. He was actually born. And this is not, it was a supernatural birth to be sure because he was, he was uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit, but it wasn't a mythical birth. You understand the difference between supernatural and mythical? Supernatural is something that's beyond understanding. It's from God, but it actually happened. Or something that's mythical it doesn't actually happen. You know, when we talk about the, the mythical Greek gods and their different myths, those things didn't actually happen. This did. It was supernatural for sure, but it actually happened. Jesus was born. There was no knock on the front door, special delivery. Jesus was born the same way that babies are born today, albeit probably with a whole lot less medication and painkillers. So I figured that if you were in the room when Jesus was born, that Mary was crying out and screaming as she pushed, going through the same pain of childbirth that any mother would go through. And Joseph, when all was said and done, was probably having to ice his hand as she gripped his hand to deal with the pain. I guess his only benefit is is, is she couldn't blame him. You know, Jesus was born a crying baby, covered in fluids, needing to be cleaned up just like any other baby. Picture this in your mind. Somebody was catching Jesus as he came out, and somebody had to spank his butt to get him to take his first breath. Because that's, that's what they did back then. I mean, can you imagine? Somebody got Jesus by his legs and popping his butt, waiting to hear that, that first cry. I can imagine, I don't, I don't know if, the, I'm sure they had a midwife, or I don't know if it was just Joseph and Mary, I don't know what exactly was happening, but I, I could just see it happen. You spank him, mm, you hit him, I know who he is. <laughs> I 
But Jesus was well and truly born. He was a baby boy, five fingers, five toes. He was the real deal. And this is what humbling himself looked like. And if we know he was born, then we can, we can surmise a few more things from that. You know, dogs don't give birth to cats, right? And we know that horses don't give birth to eagles. We're all pretty sure on that one, right? And humans don't give birth to anything else other than humans. At least, unless you're in a Hollywood movie. But in real life, humans give birth to humans. We're not talking about, the, the Bible is not like the movie Alien, where you have an alien crawling out of, of some girl's stomach. The logic in this is simple and easy to understand. If it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it must be a duck. In this case, if he looks like a human, and he was born like a human, and he cried like a human, then he was human. Jesus was fully man. This is the logistics and the mechanics of it. There can be no doubt that he was fully man. He was born as a baby. We're also going to see as he lived his life that, that he went through the same sensations and had the same needs as us as well. In John 4, 6, it says Jacob's well was there, so Jesus wearied as he was from his journey. He was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Here we see that Jesus got tired, just like any other person. In John 19, 28, it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Jesus got thirsty. And in Matthew 4, 2, it says, And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Anybody say amen? I only got to fast like four hours and I get hungry. Let alone 40 days and 40 nights. Not only was Jesus born, which should be evidence evidence enough for all of us that he was a man, but we also see that he lived his life with the same needs as any one of us. Because he was God, he didn't have to go without eating. Jesus could have starved to death just like anybody else. Jesus could have dehydrated himself to death just like anybody else. I think we often look at the life of Jesus and we we recognize, at least to some extent, that he is God. So we think that somehow he had different privileges in his his body as a man. That he, he didn't have to deal with the same stuff that we did. And we're like, man, if I was God, I could do all the things that Jesus did. If I just had, you know, a quarter of that power, man, life would be so much easier. But the reality is, is is Jesus set that aside. He humbled himself to live exactly like us on this earth. Like I said, Jesus got tired. I imagine this morning, as the alarm went off, me and Michelle are laying there, and I'm like, I don't want to get up. You know, the pastor doesn't want to get up and go to church sometimes. I love it when I get here, but sometimes getting out of bed is rough. So I sat there arguing with my... Anybody ever argue with themselves because they were too tired to get up? So I sat there arguing with myself. And I finally got out of bed. And you know what? Jesus did the same thing. I bet you there was mornings Jesus did not want to get up. There was mornings he's like, i got to deal with this crowd one more time. I know for a fact there was at least one boat ride he didn't want to get up. He was sleeping right through a storm. The disciples woke him up and he rebuked the disciples. You know, I wonder what he was like during that trip. I wonder if he woke up. I wonder if he was groggy, wiping the sleep out of his eyes and yells at the storm and then yells at his disciples, and I'm going back to bed. 
but he got tired. And he got hungry and thirsty too. I imagine, just like many of you, here in about half an hour, as the sermon's coming to a close, I bet you Jesus, as he was growing up, he was sitting in the temple, he was listening to the reading of the word, and, and you know, when it was getting time to go, and the, the, the preacher's going a little bit long, I bet you he was like, man, I'm, I wish this guy would just shut up so I can go get something to eat. <laughs> just like some of you guys do. Or, or about 15 minutes into the sermon, they stop listening to the sermon, he just starts thinking, I wonder what I'm going to have for lunch today. I wonder if this Angela's place is any good right here beside me. Maybe I should go eat there for lunch today. Jesus got hungry and thirsty. Had the same thoughts as us. Except for the difference is, is I bet Jesus took every thought captive and he, and he, he paid attention. He had the same physical requirements that any, any human had. He had to eat, he had to sleep, he had to drink, he had to exercise. He felt the joy and satisfaction of doing those things. And he felt the same pain and discomfort when those things weren't done. You know, if Jesus got dehydrated, he felt it. If he was hungry, he felt it. And it begins to make us realize that as far as his humanness, as his manhood, we're not all that different from Jesus at all. Because he had the same body as us. We also are going to learn that Jesus had to grow up and learn as well. In Mark 13, 32, it says, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And in Luke 2, 52, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. You see, Jesus was born with limited knowledge, just like us. As he was born as a baby, he didn't know anything. He had to learn and experience everything just like we do growing up. There were things he didn't know. as He didn't consider that equality with God a thing to be grasped. There were things that he didn't know. You know what? Jesus had to read his Bible. Jesus wasn't born with like a, a biblical brain dump. But he had to, to study his Bible. He had to memorize verses as well. You know, I've heard that if you, if you look at, at Jesus, he primarily quotes from the book of Isaiah when Jesus is quoting in his teaching. And I, I, I don't know the truth of this, but I've heard that, that in those days that the different temples, they didn't ha- may not have had a copy of every book of the law. That the, Some of the smaller ones may only had specific books. And it's quite possible that the reason why Jesus quotes from Isaiah the most is because that's the one that he had available to study and to learn from. Because he didn't have the entirety of scriptures dumped into his head. He had to read. He had to learn. He also had to develop a relationship with God just like any of us as a man. Because he spent time with him, he, he spoke with him, he prayed and he worshipped. In Luke twenty two thirty nine, 39, it says, He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. It was Jesus' custom to go out and spend time with God, to pray, to worship, to get to know his Father. And then you remember when, when Mary and Joseph lost him when they went to Jerusalem for the Passover? They're, they're getting ready to head home, and they're like, wait a minute, anybody seen Jesus? Can you imagine? Like, oh, we got to find him, because I am not going home on my knees tonight and say, um, God, we, we lost your Savior, and uh, can you do it again? Because we don't, we don't know what happened to him. He could be anywhere. Could you imagine that prayer? I mean, it's bad enough that you lost your only good, but they lost God. 
But this is what he told them when they finally found him. He says, in Luke 2.49, he says, He said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? Jesus spent time with God just like every single one of us needs to. You know, we can think of ourselves how easy it must have been for Jesus to do the things that he did because he was God. But as we read, we learn, we finally understand that he limited himself in the form of a man to live just as we live. And he lived just like us. And that brings me great hope because that tells me that if Jesus can do it, then I can do it with him inside of me. Amen? We're also going to find that Jesus had the same emotions that you and I have as well. In Matthew 14, 10 through 13, it says, And he sent out and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Now when Jesus had heard this, he withdrew from there on a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. You know, Jesus felt the pain of loss, just like every single one of us in this room. When his cousin was killed, John the Baptist was, was Jesus' cousin. When his cousin was killed, Jesus felt pain, and he felt grief, and he wanted to get away. He wanted to spend some time alone and work through the, and process that, that pain and that loss, just like any of us would. It says that when Jesus heard this, speaking of the, the beheading of John, the Baptist says, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. He wanted to get away. He was hurting. He was in pain. Have you ever been hurting and somebody comes up beside you and they, they've not gone through what you're going through and they want to console you, they want to comfort you, but you, you recognize that they don't really understand what you're going through. So even though their, their gesture is nice, it doesn't really comfort you the same way that somebody who's gone through the same thing. You know, when you're being comforted by, if you, lose a, if you lose a parent, when you're being comforted by somebody who's also lost a parent, they seem to be able to console you a little better because they can be empathetic with, with your feelings because they've been there. And it's a little bit different than somebody who comes up that's never dealt with it, and they, they, they sympathize with you, they want, to, they want to help, but they don't quite know what you're going through. And it's, it's a different consolation from those two different people. But God's not like that. When God comes alongside us to comfort us in our hurt, it's from a position of experience. He's been there. He's lived it. He literally understands exactly how we felt and went through those different pains and problems. And he's not just sympathetic, but he's empathetic because it's from a position of experience. He doesn't just see our pain and have compassion and concern but he's actually felt it before. He understands it because he's lived as us. And when he approaches us in our time in need, it's not as someone who doesn't understand. And it's just waiting for us to get over it, hoping we're going to push through. But it's someone who understands and is willing to embrace us and walk with us through these times and provide that comfort and empathy. And something that I find amazing is that even in this great time of hurt, he still had compassion on those who were following him. So he, he went to get away from everything. He needed to deal with his, his cousin was just killed. But the crowds find out, and they followed him on foot from the towns. And we find out, if you read a few more verses, that he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick, and he spent time with them. 
And what an inspiration that is for us, because even in his hardest time of hurt, he still had compassion on others. He still was there for them. He still continued to serve, even though he was at a time when all he wanted to do was probably be comforted himself. Because I know when I'm hurting, I want to be comforted. I don't want to be comforting somebody else. And I think the same would be true for most of, most of us. If we're in a time of hurt and somebody comes up to us and they're hurting as well, they're, don't you know what I'm going through as well? Leave me alone. Let me deal with my stuff. But that's not the attitude of Jesus. Because he was always there for others. And I find that's a great inspiration for me. We're also going to see that Jesus became sad. He wept and he also marveled. He was also uh, became enamored at stuff and wondered at stuff just like any other person. In John eleven thirty two through 35 it says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she felt that, fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And in the shortest verse of the Bible it says, Jesus wept. Jesus cared about others, and he felt his pain alongside with them. In Romans 12, 15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. And this is an example of that right here. This is what Jesus was doing. Jesus was, not, was under no illusion that he wasn't going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He wasn't sitting there crying and hurting in pain and went, Oh, wait, I have an idea. But this was actually his plan all along was to raise Lazarus. In John eleven three through six it says so the sisters this is the 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 verses before this and three through six it says so the sisters sent to him saying Lord he whom you love is ill and when Jesus heard it he said this illness does not lead to death it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it and now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus so when he heard that Lazarus was ill he went right away to see what was going on that's actually not what it says. In that scripture there, it says that he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So he finds out that this man that he loves, Lazarus, that he loves is sick and he's ill. And instead of going to see him right away, he's like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take, take my time. I'm going to spend a couple more days here. And the reality is, if we read the story, it was to make sure that he was well and truly dead for a couple days before he went down there. Because the whole point of this was that God was going to be glorified and Jesus was going to be glorified when he was risen from the dead. He knew what he was going to do. He knew that the whole time. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, why did he cry then? Why was he upset? He, he knew he wasn't dead for good. You know, he looked around and he saw the rest of his friends hurting and they were in pain. These were other people that he loved. And you know what? They didn't have the same insight of what Jesus was going to do. And they were hurting, and they were... You know what? Jesus sympathized alongside with them. He saw his friends hurting, and that caused him to hurt as well. He felt sadness just like any one of us. And we also see in Matthew 18, 8, 10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. This is when he comes up to the centurion who says, Jesus, you just say the word because I'm a man under authority and I tell someone to go and they go. And you just do the same thing. You give the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus marveled. 
He says, man, I've never seen this kind of faith. Not even in Israel, not even among the Jews. This guy's a centurion. He's a Roman, uh, a Roman soldier. He's, he's a Gentile. And he has greater faith than any Jew that Jesus has met. Things appeared wondrous or incredible to Jesus at times. You know, and as God, nothing would or could take him by, by surprise. You know, as far as God's concerned, nothing that you do surprises God. But as a man, Jesus could be surprised. He could be filled with awe, and he could be filled with wonder. He could experience that emotion just like every one of us in this room do. And if you read the scriptures, there's actually only two things that are, that are written that make Jesus marvel. One of them is great faith, like right here. He saw this great faith, and, and Jesus was in wonderment at this great faith. He marveled at it. But the other times you see it written, as he was marveling at their lack of faith. The only two times Jesus marvels in the body, in the Bible, because of great faith or lack of faith. I imagine he marveled at this great faith because he had seen so much lack of faith in his travels. We also find that, that things bothered Jesus. He became troubled. In Matthew 26, 36 through 39, it says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And go a little farther. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Things bothered Jesus just like they bother us as well. I imagine Jesus had a little bit of fear as he was going into this situation. Now he trusted God. And he recognized that if he put his faith in them, that, that he, he conquered that fear. He dealt with that fear. But I imagine as he's in the garden, he knows about what's to happen. And he becomes, he becomes, he becomes troubled. He becomes sorrowful. And we know that in the, in the garden, he, he actually is brought to the point of sweating blood. He's so troubled. Following through with his calling wasn't easy for him. Just like many of us, we think that, oh, it, it must have been so easy for him to live his life because he was God, but he dealt with the same things that we dealt with because he was 100% man. He was fully man. And he didn't want to be beaten. He didn't want to be put on that cross. He didn't want to deal with that pain as a man, but he recognized that that was his purpose on this earth. So he went forward. He said, you know what, Father, I don't want to do it. If you can take this away from me, that'd be awesome, but not my will, but your will be done. And just like many of us as we step into our calling, Michelle and I can tell you that when we were called to do this, there were some moments when we didn't want to do it. And we weren't going through near as much about what he's going to go through. I know there's many nights that Michelle was praying, if anything else, God, let him be anything else but a pastor. But just like us, Jesus went through those same fears, the same problems, the same pressures of going through with his calling and he felt that same range of emotion that any of us would feel in his shoes amen because he was fully man in john five thirty, jesus says i can do nothing on my own as i hear i judge and my judgment is just because i seek not my own will but the will of him who sent me jesus could do nothing on his own because he was fully man just like us 
You know, the question that, I, that we have to ask ourselves is when Jesus was in that garden and he was crying out to God, why was he crying out to God? But it's because as a man, Jesus needed God and the Holy Spirit just as much as any of us in this room. He says that he could do nothing on his own. He fully trusted and relied on God. Once again being our example, but once again showing that he was fully man. And as a man, he had to deal with the same things that we have to deal with. He didn't have special privileges or special powers because he was God in the flesh. And once again, like I said, he's our example. This is why in in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul said, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Because this is the life that we should be living. And 1 John 2.6, it says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And we see that he walked as a man, that he, he prayed, that he worshipped, that he loved, that he recognized that he could do nothing on his own, and he relied on God. This is how we ought to walk. And in Life Group, over the last couple of Wednesdays, we've been going through the book of John, and we've seen a couple of times where Jesus operated in a supernatural way. But he operated under the power of the Holy Spirit, just like you and I. He received a word of knowledge when he saw Nathaniel underneath the fig tree. And he says, I saw you under that tree before I came up here. And when he, re- he also received another word of knowledge about the, the woman at the well, when, when basically she said that he told me everything that ever was about me. He told me my whole life. And how did Jesus do that? Did he do it because he was God? No, because while he was on this earth, he lived as fully a man. But he, he operated in the power of the Holy Spirit just like any of us is expected to do. That's actually why the, the Bible says that greater works shall we do than, than what he did while he was on this earth. Not because we're somehow better or more important or have more power than Jesus, but because the same Spirit that is working inside of, of him is working inside of us. Amen? In Hebrews 2, 14 through 17, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through, through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, and therefore had to become made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And in Hebrews four fifteen through 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and a help in a time of need. You see, we find out here that he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he could become that high priest to make the propitiation for our sins. He had to become a man to die on the cross for us, to pay the price for our sins. If he would have became something else, if he would have been just in the image of a man, if he wouldn't have became exactly like us, then he wouldn't have fulfilled God's purpose. Jesus took on a human body to save our bodies. He took on a human mind to save our minds. And without becoming a man in his emotions, he couldn't have saved our emotions. And without taking a human will, he couldn't have saved our will. 
Gregory of Nazianzus, also known as Gregory the Theologian, who was a 4th century archbishop of Con- I don't know what that word says. Constantinople? <laughs> Constantinople. That's how you say it. Said, that which he has not assumed, he, was not, he has not healed. But he assumed our body in full, therefore he has healed us in full. Amen? It says here that it wasn't for the angels that he died. It says it's not, not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham up. Us. If he was to die for the angels, he would have had to become an angel. But as he was dying for us to pay for our sins, he became a man like us, in full. And we also see that Jesus understands our weaknesses here. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one in every respect has been tempted as we are. You know, the, the main difference between Jesus and us when he, he walked this earth is that, that he was tempted in every respect as we are. You know, we're, every one of us is not tempted in every respect. There are things that we're tempted with, but we're not tempted with everything. We'd probably become overwhelmed. But Jesus dealt with every single possible temptation that there could ever be so that he could sympathize with our weakness and also so that he could demonstrate that, that it can be resisted. In Him. No matter what you're struggling with, no matter what issue or sin that you're dealing with, Jesus understands what that temptation is like. And this is why we can draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. Because He understands. He doesn't respond with judgment. He knows what we're going to. He responds with grace and with mercy. He responds with mercy because He doesn't give us what we deserve when we come to the cross. But He responds with grace because He gives us His life that we might be able to deal with what we're struggling with. Amen? And then we'll end here. In 1 John 4, 2-3, it says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. You know, there's actually an idea that Jesus wasn't actually fully a man. That he is somehow just, that just God came down in the image of man. He wasn't fully man, he just looked like a man. And there's a problem with that, because John here says that Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That He came in the flesh as fully a man. Not just the appearance of a man. He wasn't just a, it wasn't just an illusion, but He actually was a man. And it says that if, if, you, if you confess that, then that's the Spirit of God. But if the, the opposite is true, that if you don't confess that, if you don't believe that, it says right here that that's the Spirit of the Antichrist. It's in contradiction to Christ. It's in opposition to Christ. When we say things other than that, but He came, He lived as a man fully, as one of us. It was necessary for the plan and purpose of God for our salvation to come to fruition, for Him, for him to die for us and give His life for us and, and, and be propitiation for our sins and to become healing for us. He had to be just as us. Jesus lived on this earth as a man in full. 
And he is our example and our inspiration. And he dealt with the same problems that we all deal with. And he had the same issues, the same temptations that we do. He felt the same feelings and the same longings as any of us in this room might feel. And he can sympathize and empathize with all of our dealings. And as such, he was able to take our place on the cross. And he died the death that we should have died so that we might receive his life instead. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.